This is Simon and White, the podcast at the center of media, business, and politics. I'm Christian White, and joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, where are you today? I am in New Jersey, but more interestingly is where are you? Well, I'm in Singapore. This is Singapore behind me. You can't quite see it. It's the Raffle Hotels. I look down upon their their pool and their long bar with Singapore slings. I haven't bought one. I don't know. It's a it's a little bit touristy. I think I did it in the first and and previous trips out here, but uh, but not this time. No, that's it. Well, look, I'm I'm going to change things up on a little bit here where the where the way we talk. I'm really interested, and I think a lot of other people would be interested too. What's your impressions there? My my first thing is is that this. What's what's COVID like there? In other words, what, what's it like being there in COVID? Just run down how long did you stay in quarantine, all these other things. It's a mixed bag. They are far in the head of every other place, uh, you know, with one or two minor exceptions, maybe Fiji, something uh, way ahead of the rest of every, every business center in East Asia. You know, uh, like you previously traveled a lot to Japan, to Taiwan, Hong Kong, unfortunately, is off the list due to the late unpleasantness. Yeah. Um, but all those places are effectively closed. Singapore, uh, which is, is interesting, despite its caution, despite its sort of, you know, almost authoritarian and reputation uh, has a mechanism to get in. So my quarantine was a grand total of four and a half hours, maybe five hours. Uh, you test before you travel. You have to be vaccinated to get in what they call a vaccinated travel lane. Uh, you do the test within 48 hours. So of course, you know, I got raped at the Denver airport for 250 bucks. Not the end of the world for a business trip, although if you're a family of five trying to go home, that becomes onerous. But okay, you do it. Um, I actually did one myself in the San Francisco hotel before I went to the airport just because I really didn't want to get down here and have caught Omicron on the way and have to quarantine for seven days. Um, But anyway, so quarantine on departure. And then when you land, they give you one at the airport. You have to go straight to your hotel and wait there for the results. For me, it came in uh, about five hours. And then you're free to go. Now, there, there are some things everyone has to carry around the cell phone or at least a, a token if you don't have one. And you'd have to check in almost every public venue you go to. Now, that's as easy as scanning a QR code. But um, again, head and shoulders, Japan had an unworkable three-day quarantine. Uh, that's now an infinite quarantine in the sense that they just don't really let foreigners in. Of course, you know more about Taiwan than everyone, but they have this enormous seven plus seven, uh, so effective 14 days of of house arrest and then um, a monitoring period thereafter. So uh, everyone's wearing masks here, including outdoors. And I think in the U.S. there there may still be a debate about the effectiveness of masks indoors, but outdoors, I think everyone but sort of the nuttiest of nuts are are realize they're pointless even in New York and other congested cities here. Yeah. Everyone's going outside. But uh, yeah, so it's it's um, so it's not what like, about at dinner tables and things like that. Do people take their mask off when they're having dinner and everything? Yeah, you, only when you start uh, eating or drinking. So the first thing, uh, restaurants, of course, highly adaptable, figured this out. They're very prompt in asking if you want what before they take a true drink order or your, your meal order, they ask if you want water, still or sparkling. And as soon as that glass hits the table, because you were involved in the act of consumption, you can start drinking. Now, I have a friend who was working in sort of a common work area, and he took his mask off entirely to drink some coffee, and he said he was harassed to, to, to put it on between sips. I haven't gotten anything like that. Sort of mask them off once, once you sit down and start, and then uh, you don't put them on again until you pay the bill. I, I had uh, that experience probably about four months ago, three months ago when I was stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts on the way to uh, Canada. And uh, I was sitting, I was sitting 
on the hood of my car, like basically leaning against the hood of my car. And I was having a, had a cruel, I had a, I had a apple fritter in one, you know, the fat guy, apple fritter in one hand, coffee in the other. And I'm standing there, I got my feet up, feet, and you know, and this lady walks by, she goes, you should have your mask on. And I, well, since it's a podcast, it was what, what, what's your effing problem, lady? How am I supposed to eat my food? And she just looked, she, I could tell she had probably not even looked at my hand. She just saw a man without mask, you know what I'm saying? And so it, it's nuts. But the Singaporeans are doing it right. Look, they're serious people. They, they, they are serious. And that's my next question. Is it pretty much open down there that they're raping Hong Kong right now for financial services and having people move down there? I mean, is, I you hear about it much when you're down there? It's funny. It's it's subdued a little bit because I don't think they want to brag about it because they know it's happening in there. They're happy it's happening. You know, I noticed this first talking to the people at the embassy uh, in Washington who were terrific, incidentally. And then down here, I said, oh, you guys are, are, are lucky. It's a lamentation for me as someone who, who uh, roots for Taiwan, for example. You know, it's sort of sad that I haven't heard of a single trading desk financial institution, insurance salesman, whatever, who has left Hong Kong and ended up in Taiwan or Tokyo. Uh, if they're not going back to London or New York or Dubai, and they aren't really, I think they're, they're coming down here. Maybe different people, maybe people who are fatigued with Hong Kong are going, if they're expats, back to, back to the US, UK, wherever, in a different set down here. You know, I think you said earlier, no one puts out a press release when they leave Hong Kong, um, yeah. but it's happening. And so uh, it's sort of consistent with, I think, Singapore's overall foreign policy, which is not to provoke China. You know, they, they are uh, studiously unsympathetic toward Taiwan, at least outwardly, for example. But um, I think they're, they're, they're more than happy. And when you think about it, um, whereas before COVID, if you ask what's the, the real financial capital of East Asia, uh, some people would say Shanghai, Hong Kong, I think would be the leading contender. The problem with Tokyo yeah. is you cover Japan from Tokyo and not too many people with just the expense and insularity and complexity up there in the distance, you know, cover other parts, maybe a few people Bangkok, a few people tai Taiwan, but it, it really seems to be here as the epicenter. Look, I've always made the argument that the center of the center of, of, of an economic system is basically, I mean, I'm sorry, international financial centers is the wealth management. In other words, where, where do people keep their money? Where do they keep their relationships? And that's where it is. And Hong Kong was for a long, long time that place is that in spades now i had a conversation with the guy last week and he's like he's like well where should i put my money i'm getting money coming into me should i open up my accounts in hong kong i go well why would you do that the guy go you know and he's like well i i i just i i work in the he works in indonesia i said put it in the singapore he goes well you know but i'm from hong kong and i like hong kong I said if you want to do hong kong that's fine but i said you know you this guy tends to you know, rock the boat every once in a while. Um, and I said, you know, in, in, in terms of deals that he does, I said, why not just be in Singapore where nobody can touch you? You know what I'm saying? They're not going to come down and get you in Singapore. And, uh, you know, I, I think I think he saw that. I mean, I, I've had some really good experiences with Singapore um, for, for a lot of things. I think they're very, very doing a very solid job. But I will say this. I think they draw the contrast with Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan is basically sitting there waiting to be plucked. Singapore seems to be able to handle every little surge they get. 
in in COVID. They are getting them, you know what I'm saying? And they, you know, they have a hundred here, a hundred there. They're going, all right, well, we're having it and we're going to handle it. I have to give the Singaporeans credit, probably the most mature attitude of any place in Asia that we've seen. You know, Japan's actually getting a little bit better, but you know, the Australians are, you know, they lost their lunch. God knows what happened to them. But ta- Hong Kong, you know, somebody told me that they think Hong Kong minimum is locked up until after the legislative elections and chief executive elections in March. So you look at that. So and I think Singapore also, they have the ability not to interfere. So I, I think that's it. Now, let me ask you the next Singaporean question. Uh-huh. Taiwan. What are the Singaporeans saying? They have a good they have a good sense for this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to me. Uh, you're everyone asks if we're going to come to their defense, and the answer I give is it's it's hard to know. Uh, I don't think the Chinese would construct an attack or invasion in a way that would make it easy or clear for us. I think we'd do something, but um, you know, the question is: is there anything left to defend by the time we 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 get our ducks in a row? Uh, I also say that if if Beijing believed Joe Biden when he recently sort of slipped and said that we would defend Taiwan, if they if, if the if the Chicoms actually believe that, they would be having a hissy fit and doing lots of things. And I think instead they think it's a doddering old fool who just happened happened to say that and who says a lot of things, uh, including against Russia. Uh, you know, here they've been studiously unsympathetic. I think to Taiwan, there is the the um, I wouldn't say little known but little advertised. Uh, joint military exercises, I th- not joint, excuse me, just sort of solo middle military exercises where uh, the Singaporeans train in jungle warfare in Taiwan because Singapore doesn't really have a hinterland. Incidentally, they train with the Air Force in, in Idaho in the western United States. They keep yep. their, their reserve there. So a lot of questions about what we're uh, going to do, what we would do. Now, I ran past them something Donald Trump said yesterday to Lou Dobbs on his podcast, which is that, that just, you know, plain as day, China's going to attack Taiwan after the Olympics. Um, and, and no one seemed to think that that was there were any signs of imminence like that. I think people think that. Um, First of all, if China makes the decision to go, it's not going to be influenced much by by events. Um, if it is, then it's probably the party congress this year that's unlikely to uh, precede or succeed in an invasion. Um, so I, people here are not at all. It's so strange in Washington. You've had this this massive switch from from blase about China and Taiwan to alarmist, and you don't see that down here. Yeah, I think the thing is the Singaporean to basically stay out of it. You know what I'm saying? I've always wondered why they wanted the F-35s, you know, to buy those or they want that. I mean, I think it's just a way for them to say, if you come down here, you will get punched in the nose. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they seem to be, they seem to have that. I, I, I myself actually speaking not to a Singaporean, but speaking again to an Indonesian um, was asked the same thing. This guy also, you know, everybody in Indonesia, the business politics, they're all together and stuff like that. I do believe the U.S. will come to the aid of Taiwan. And here's my rationale. My rationale is this, is that after Biden has looked so weak in Ukraine and after the Democratic Party has looked so weak in Ukraine, the simple fact of the matter is I am not a believer that there's a clear justification for U.S. involvement in Ukraine. In other words, if we want to cause Putin trouble, that's fine with me. Go ahead and have the three the, the agency boys or whoever does it, let them do their stuff. But boys and girls, I should say. But <laughs> if 
I know politically correct. But if 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 we're talking about the uh, if we're talking about Taiwan, I made I I just make the case that Taiwan, it's it, Ukraine's not West Berlin. Taiwan is a combination of West Berlin, the Panama Canal, and then the threat of Chinese missiles and Chinese flights flying out 500 miles from the east coast of Taiwan, basically pinning the U.S. fleet all the way back in. Plus, it's the loss of credibility. Plus, it's this. Plus, it's that. Now, the point that I think you do make correctly is, if China does something, would there be much left to defend? I actually think my belief is every six months, Taiwan becomes harder for the Chinese. And the reason why I'm saying that is Taiwan is changing their military approach. U.S. and Japan are honing what they're going to do. And I just think it's a lot harder to do an invasion of a country than people think. I mean, you get all these couch warriors going, oh, you know, they'll fly over and they'll drop paratroopers in the mountains and this and that. Uh-huh. The Chinese military is not very good. Let's be bluntly honest with you. They're, they're lousy, in fact. They're not a good military. Um, they basically get their asses kicked every once in a while by, you know, club-wielding Indians on the border, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and then they kill a few Indians when they, you know, they catch them, and, catch them in an off moment. But the point being is, is that um, I, just, I just don't see the U.S. folding on this one as quickly. But my bottom ultimate line besides all those other things is I think it's about political survival. And I think, quite frankly, if, if Ukraine turns sour, and then on the Democratic watch, uh, Taiwan was to go down, they're out, they're done, they're finished forever. You know what I'm saying? And I also think too, it's, 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 the, it's the status. In other words, I hate to say it, but it's turning out for a lot of people, and I'm, I'm not one of them, but I, do, I am seeing this now. Those who are opposing any involvement in Ukraine are coming back around saying, yeah, but Taiwan's different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People who before before this would say Taiwan, no Taiwan, no to, no to Taiwan intervention, are really their problem is they're trapped. So now they're against basically the U.S. being defending what they would consider interest anywhere. In other words, the neocons do have a decent argument now. I don't I don't I don't agree with it. But, you know, you know, the fact of the matter is. Ukraine's going to be really something. I myself think if Putin goes into Ukraine, I think it's the end of Russia. I think it's Afghanistan too for them. Because I, I think yeah. everything blows up. Everything. Right. Blows up. Oh, really? Oh, you think it'll, it'll cause that? I yeah. think everything it's, blows up. It's not as, I mean, people are like, oh, this is his biggest gamble. Yeah, not entirely sure that's true. Um, not entirely sure he's going to do anything overt. Um, and uh, if it is, it could be quite minor. Um, there's Christian, the I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something. I was in Moscow a couple of years after they pulled out of Afghanistan. And I still remember distinctly on the streets of Moscow, small camps of Afghan veterans. And the country was very, very bitter about what happened in Afghanistan. You know, it was like their Vietnam. And the soldiers came back. They were completely ignored. And the country kind of knew it. And if you look at some of the movies that came out after that, you know what I'm saying? The Russian movies, not sympathetic to the government, to the generals and the government people. So very quickly, I think, look, the Ukrainians are going to fight. There's no doubt about that. Uh-huh. Okay. 
And so you put you put 70,000 guys across the border, you're going to be sending back a few thousand body bags. And there's going to be the images of, you know, Russians bombing churches. Uh, we're going to have dead children on the screens. I don't think I don't think that uh, I really don't think that this works out the way Putin thinks it's going to work out for him. Right. Um, and I, I think people are starting to realize that. So the question is, can Biden without I mean, you know, unless he can Biden and his team find a way to basically let Putin save some face on the way out? I think that's the stage we're at right now, you know, rather, rather than, in other words, let him to do something. But that's why Biden worries me, because Biden's like, well, maybe there'll be a soft power takeover. I'm not so sure about that. You know, it's easier said than done. I mean, sort of uh, the political warfare of the early and mid 20th century is hard, hard to effect today in a world where these ideas are not new and, and where, you know, lies can sort of be exposed quickly. I mean, the idea, so it's how do you take down the, the current Ukrainian government without an election or without some, some sort of thing that you can influence yeah. and manipulate? It's, uh, it's hard to see that, that happening. Uh, before, before we, uh, before you've been in East Asia a long time, before you worked um, with, uh, with Apple Daily, etc., you were in shipping. Is it true that in Singapore, if you were a hippie and you showed up in what is it like the, the yeah. 70s, 80s, your, your choice was to cut your hair right then and there at the airport or? Oh, yeah, they had all that stuff. Look, when I came in one time, it was I don't feel bad about saying it because they were doing it, not us. When, I'm not kidding you. It was a line for like Europeans, uh, Hong Kongers, Japanese. Koreans, and then they had a line for all others, you know, and I still have my famous story where there are these two young, I was younger, there were these two moderately attractive backpacker girls in front of me, talking to them and this and that, and, you know, they went forward and they're talking to the customs guy who's, you know, looking for their stuff, looking through them, and they go, yeah, we're here backpacking, he goes, are you going to spend any money when you're here? And they go, oh, well, we'll try to be frugal. He goes, great. He just looked at him like, you know, we don't need you. Keep going to Thailand. We don't want you. You know what I'm saying? You know, and he was asking him about, he was asking about work. He was basically asking if they were going to be prostitutes while they're there. And one of the girls, they were nice kids. They were nice young women. And one of the women, like halfway through, she figured out what he was asking. She goes, absolutely not. You know, she, just, she became like a 1940s English woman. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, very indignant. So it was kind of funny. But I mean, look, but on this, since we're talking about shipping, look, just might as well talk about a little bit of money right now. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I'm looking at this, this, this right now. I still think there's a couple of buying opportunities here. Mm -hmm. I think oil's a buying opportunity because I think anything that happens, it price goes up. You know what I'm saying? For a while, at least. If you're looking for some short-term plays, I think oil could be in there. I don't know a damn thing about Bitcoin because I won't tell. I don't tell anybody there. People are telling me it's the way to go. Mm -hmm. I think semiconductors could be a buy again because basically people are going to be worried about you know uh, where people are going to be worried about. The, the supply chain and things like that. And it doesn't make sense, but it's counterintuitive that you buy it just to try to make sure that you're part of it and hold those price increases on that. Now, the other thing, too, is that I think is really very, very interesting for a lot of people here um, is is really going to be looking in the U.S. at what I would call domestic utilities um, and, and, and the simple companies. Look at the simple companies. Um, because I think I think any global 
type of in, 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 any global type of uh, in, instability, I think essentially people are going to start. I mean, I hate to say it. I just don't think you're going to see the international companies doing as well. The risk will be too much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I would even say someone like McDonald's would be a little bit risky because they've got so much exposure overseas on that, you know, and, and they could have start having supply chains. But I will I will say, I mean, I don't really consider Ukraine a huge thing other than oil and gas. Um, I always buy gold. I'm a gold guy. You know, I'm not a gold bug, but I consistently buy. I, I like physical gold. You know what I'm saying? I like I like to have my guy buy it and just put it in my little account, you know, put it in my little safe somewhere. I think he's in New York, upstate New York somewhere, you know. Um, the phys- I shouldn't say that because we don't keep any in the house. We just keep guns. All we have in the house, everybody, is guns. Lots There's of guns. guns. in your guard dog, right? And your- There's, we have guns in my guard dogs. That's it. You know what I'm saying? You know, we have sh- sharks with lasers on their heads that can shoot. You know, that's that. Did you, well, did you hear that story about that 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 guy who was he was on some show and he was talking about like all his artwork in his house and he came back a week later there was no artwork. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was bragging about it on television like you idiot. You know, I mean, we we you know we, this 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 is a, my house is the house where basically my wife hands me the money when I go out the door. My kids don't use cash anymore. They are ve- they're everything but cash. You know what I'm saying? And so they don't, they don't they don't keep anything. It's just part of our life now. But the thing is, is really is when you get back to these whole stories that we're looking at here. I mean, to me, I think investors, quite frankly, um, for some reason, for certain money transfers of my own, I had to move some money out of the markets about two months ago. OK. And so basically just out sitting in cash while I was changing accounts and everything went to went to hell in a handbasket all right so now i'm ready to go happy so you know in other words sometimes you think about things in life that work for you you know what i'm saying you know i i didn't have to ride all this volatility and all these things you know amazon's down below 3000 again you know so maybe that's a shot you know spotify but my point is on the big stuff i am right now looking at short term plays in other words oil gas you know what i'm saying look at it ride it up 10% 15% dump it, minerals, anything like that. Um, it's a lot harder than people think. The one thing I do can and do trade is the commodities, yeah. you know, um, yeah, and, but that's not as hard for, as people for think. ETFs or you're buying actual futures? Or? I actually, I actually buy actual futures, but it's, but it's, it's not cheap. It's not cheap where, where I, what I do it. Cause I don't have the volume, but, I, but you, but I, I got in a long time ago and they've never, They've never booted me from the platform. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, they don't know who I am, but I mean, they've never booted me from the yeah. platform. So oil, not through. I used to do it through USO, but that deals in sort of near near expiration uh, contracts. And then I switched to USL. Incidentally, I do these through a retirement account because they send out a K-1 every year, which is an annoyance. doesn't arrive until late in the tax preparation season. But um, they deal more in year out um, oil contracts. So it's less volatile, but up. And uh, yeah, it's interesting how yeah. volatile oil is. This is something that's it's such a huge amount. It's um, uh, it, a commodity, and, and it's not completely indistinguishable because you have different grades and transportation hurdles. But um, considering yeah. how closely studied it is and how long it takes to increase or decrease production, the amount of change. I mean, I, I was happy when it crossed 80 and the fact that it's now bumping up against 90 and, and you know, as you point yeah. out, it's still 
probably has upside with the geopolitical risk and the fact that uh, OPEC plus. I, I think oil's 110. I think with geopolitical risk, oil's 110. Oh. I think it's easy. Look, you have to understand something. My intent, my thing with oil is, is oil owes me is the way I look at it. Because <laughs> yeah, the right. very first thing, remember that story, the very first thing I ever did in Singapore is I was part of a group after I made a first small amount of money, a wonderful Swedish guy. It was, he was a fantastic guy. He brought a bunch of us into a bunker trading scheme. For those of you who don't know what bunker trading, yeah. that's like ship, ship, you know, ship fuel. It's actually like, isn't isn't it a solid at room temperature or close to it or like almost, it? almost. Uh, it's like uh, what they do, you know, three eighty, one eighty, whatever you know this. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I got my dad into it with me. You know what I'm saying? See the old man and I were in there for a few hundred, not a lot, not a lot. You know what I'm saying? Not a million, but you know what happened is is like. There's a there's an angel in uh in sing at uh, at what 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 is now APL but was Neptune Orient lines. We were getting killed, just killed. Um up, down, up, down, and then finally, you know, called. But we were doing physical. And so we had this stuff, you know, when you physical, you own it. And the guys in the tanks were saying, you know, you gotta you gotta do something with it. And this wonderful guy came in and he basically very, very wisely told us wait today wait tomorrow and then on a certain day before we actually did this before a holiday period the price kind of went up a little bit mm -hmm. and he, he bought it from us at that higher price now we were still i, st I mean i still lost about two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know us back then and that was 25 years ago 26 years ago so that really hurt but i learned a lot and i i did learn what you say and i learned that oil is something there i would never believe in i never believe in a long-term energy play because yeah. I think technology is always changing. But I'm telling you right now, um, we have an incredibly hostile world. We're about to get a Federal Reserve officer, our Federal Reserve, whatever, our head of the Financial Review Committee or whatever her name, that Risen Woman. Um, I shouldn't say Risen Woman this room. Yeah, she's the woman who's a Miss Risen or something like that. Her husband's a congressman or something like that. You know, let's face it. This, 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 she's nuts. You know, she wants to do climate change from a financial controller job. She's a crackpot. Which, I mean, and, I know and they're put very, I know this is a very old-fashioned thing to say, but actually uh, the legal authority of that organization doesn't provide for that. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. But, I mean, I, I was reading some of her stuff. She's a crackpot. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this, that's, that's the only way to describe her. She is, you know, people go, oh, you shouldn't say that. She is. She's a nut. You read her stuff. She's like, she just makes up stuff as she's going along. Oh, we're going to do this. Can you imagine her in a meeting and somebody says to her, you know, we don't have the legal authority to do it, but we have the moral authority, you know, <laughs> That's right. the moral authority. It's like these ladies, we got these people in our neighborhood now. I don't know where the hell they're coming from, but they're putting up signs about like, they're putting up signs next to the speed limit signs telling people, you know, like the speed limit's 35 and they put up signs that say you should be going 25. And it's like, what? The speed limit's 35. That's what the, that's what they say. But then these people just put up like their own signs. You know what I'm saying? And that to me is her. It's like she's going to decide that she's going to regulate the international economy. And this is where China does us a big favor all the time. And this is what one thing about China. And this is why I wish the damn Chinese would stop playing around with all this geopolitical power BS. With 1.4 billion people and their economic power, they could run the damn world. You know what I'm saying? Right. And Xi Jinping's over there playing all these stupid 
games from the Cold War. You know, he, they should be over here, basically. They, they just did it the other day. Did you see what they said? We are not going to have, we are not lives of our people through untested policies on climate change or something like that. Basically, it was this to John Kerry. They do some you know, stuff right, you know, behind beating up these tech companies that have gotten so big and, and yeah. you know, a realist approach. Now, it's a little weird. They're, you know, they have the spat with Australia where they're not buying coal currently. <laughs> you got to get coal from somewhere. You can't, you know, switch your energy grid to sunshine and bunnies overnight. Um, so that's what they're buying. Again, Indonesia conversation, same guy. That's why I told him don't put your money in Hong Kong because he's selling stuff up there. Uh-huh. Coal going north from Indonesia. He's like, and guess where? Guess what? Our cust- our old customers are buying coal from Australia. <laughs> it's yeah. It's an international commodity. It's like boycotting gold from Canada. You don't right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not going to buy Canadian gold. Okay, feel free. You know, <laughs> you know, we'll move it across the border, smelt it, and you'll buy it then. So it doesn't matter. You know, but um, but so that's it. But no. So I think it sounds like it's really going well down there. And I think it's uh, just so I know, how's the weather? Give me give me U.S. degrees. Don't tell me that crazy Celsius stuff. Celsius stuff. You know, it's um, it hasn't rained a single time I'm here, which I'm very unused to when I visit. That's true. Yeah. So it gets, um, I'd say, high 70s at night and up to high 80s during the day. It's definitely hey, it's hot and humid. We're 100 miles north of the equator at Southeast Asia. But it's it's by and large uh, pleasant. I actually wouldn't mind a rainstorm. Having come from the cold and snowy uh, Colorado, but uh, oh, I can't complain. Can't complain too much. And you know, um, unlike Japan and parts of Taiwan, uh, but like Hong Kong, they air condition the crap out of everything here. So that's always you know quite nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no climate. The climate's not being saved in Singaporean shopping malls. <laughs> you know, you can bet your life about that. But yeah, so that's it. But you know, the next. The- you know, we, I'll, I'll get off Singapore and let, let you have it back. Sorry for being so uh, enthusiastic about Singapore. Yeah, well, no, I am too. It's an interesting place to be. It's funny. People are sort of like, well, why are you down here? I'm like, well, you know, uh, I uh, do policy. I do PR and lobbying at times. And, um, you know, here to reconnect, here to get firsthand information about China, also about political Islam in Southeast Asia and how that links to uh, other places like the Gulf and Turkey, which is interesting. You know, the word back on Indonesia and Malaysia from from experts here, and you kind of have to leave the U.S. to get this information because they're very people in the U.S who can understand political Islam as the driving force that eventually manifests itself in jihadism or what Trump called radical Islamic terrorism or what liberals call violent extremism. So uh, it's good. And also just to raise the flag, um, even if I don't walk out of here with new clients, but to, um, to uh, you know, um, uh, make, make oneself available, I guess, and, and just circulate. So, uh, yeah, I think there's utility. If, if, any, if any potential clients are listening here, I think they should know that it's probably few people who really understand how DC works better than you. Cynical at times, I must admit, but, you know, but healthily cynical. No, I mean, I, 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 I think the thing is, is that, you know, I mean, I, I, one of the things, Kristen, I think that people, and I hope people get what they listen to us, is that, you know, we understand that people have self-interest, you know what I'm saying? And it doesn't mean the bad guys are all stupid or the good guys are all smart. And people have self-interest and they're moving in a certain way. And also you can't really fault people for having self-interest. It's just when they, when they do that, when they try to 
mow over other people's interest unfairly or, you know, without a fight. But I think anybody who doesn't have representation or knowledge of what's going on in the nation's capital, in the U.S., but also just in the U.S. as well. I mean, you have the advantage of not living in it. And that's huge. Um, and so the thing is, is that I think that's very important for people because, you know, having gone to Singapore many times, knowing many people um, there, you know, one of the things is I think that sometimes they really do miss the old man, Lee Kuan Yew, mm-hmm. who seemed to have a pretty good feel for America. The son does not have the same feel. You know, he, he, he's there a little bit more. And I think they have, I think the Singaporeans, at the end of the day, I've always said this, the Singaporeans make so much money being really a Chinese society outside of China. And so they can fool themselves all day long. They can try to ride the middle all day long. But as Lee Kuan Yew said, at the end of the day, we know where we are. And they're in the West. They're firmly in the West. Um, but I don't blame them. I mean, you know, I mean, why? It's like, remember I told you that story when we were meeting with the Vietnamese a couple of years ago and the Vietnamese were going, yeah, we're with you. But there's 1.4 billion of them. There's 120 million of us. And we're not really looking to pick a fight, you know. So, <laughs> right. so, 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 I mean, I think that's it. But, you know, but no, I'm glad, I'm glad you got there. But there's other stuff going on in the U.S. right now that's very interesting. Yeah, so I can imagine. Um, I don't know. Well, if, unless, uh, unless you had another topic in mind, should we, should we close out on the, the, the China Olympics? There seems to be uh, a profound yes. of excitement in, in that, which really, I guess, is, is coming up quite quickly. Um, and uh, it's a disaster for China and it's a disaster for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic to watch. It's like a slow rolling explosion. And it's like, it's like you can predict, it's like watching a fat kid roll down a hill and you see the tree he's going to hit into, and you can like make jokes before he hits the tree all the way down. You know what I'm saying? I'm a fat guy can make that joke. But the thing is, is that the thing is, is that really, you just see it happening. It's just, it. I think the viewership's going to be way off. The, the, the timing, the hours are all off. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's all, you know, okay, let's get up at, let's get up at, uh, let's get up at uh, 11 o'clock at night to watch this. The athletes are going to be miserable because, I mean, I think they have some of the events going off at literally like eight in the morning. The finals for some of these things are going to be going off at eight, nine in the morning. Or ten in the morning, you know what I'm saying? For so so they can get East Coast ten o'clock at night over here, and they can do all types of different things. But look, I got to tell you, I really believe that what's happened is they're not going to be able to get rid of basically the genocide Olympics. They're not going to be able to run by it. The social media is too powerful, too strong. There's too many people out there doing things. You know, every time they turn around, in NBC must be. This is a huge loss for NBC. Comcast has really made a huge thing. They paid $7.5 billion for 20 years of Olympics, and it's been going like this ever since. And I don't even think the Tokyo Olympics would have made it with COVID, to be honest with you. Even if it didn't have COVID, I don't think people are that interested anymore. Yeah. I don't think people get up in the morning and, and, and you know, look at the Olympians. Are they really all that exciting for anymore as, as individuals, you know? I mean, people like, all right, Michael Phelps turned into be a weirdo. And, you know, and look at the winter, look at the winter Olympics. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just not that big of, it's just not that big of a deal. I think with the American, the NHL has said, we're out of here. Uh Very, very smart move. Very smart move. 
You know, imagine if you're the NHL player. Hi, I play for the Sabres. What do you think of what do you think of genocide? 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 Right. You know, in, in other words, they can't get away from it. Coca-Cola and all these other companies are going to have to rethink their positioning with the Olympics. Yeah. First of all, I'm really in the Olympics. Not exactly a healthy thing now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and the Olymp and the Olympic Committee is just shown to be complete. They, they are basically like a giant NGO think tank scumbag group, you know, kind of like the World Economic Forum. That's really what they are. They're they're nothing anymore, you know. And we've got all these other sports bodies. We can have the World Championship, this and that. And the way and what we're seeing is and the, the, the one technical point I'm making is what we are seeing is this. We are seeing sports see that they are more popular. So don't get me wrong. But if you are in kick ass snowboarding with cool people, why do you want to be on the same bill as the curling people? You know what I'm saying? Why do you want to you know, if you're hockey, why do you want to be on the same bill as like cross-country skiing, you know what I'm saying? All right. Now maybe they maybe they can combine something and have like you know the skiing shooting with the swimming events and like you know the synchronized swimming they shoot the synchronized swimmers. Maybe people would watch that. But my point, Christian, is this: is like this thing is turning into a huge loser. You're, you're I mean, next time it comes around. Frankly, look at some of the companies that are sponsoring this now. Airbnb, they really have that kind of money. You know, this is not, this is not, there's, I don't think there's any beer guys there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, pretty soon we're going to be down to the vaping companies trying to be on this thing. But it's a loser. And for China, everybody's going to say, oh, China's getting the pomp and circumstance they need. China cares about two markets, and that's it. It cares about Asia, and I should say three markets, it cares about Asia. And it cares about the West, which is the U.S. and North America. And they are they are screwed in all those markets because they don't control. They don't control. That. Watch how much money they spend in Twitter, on Facebook, on everything else, trying to put the message out. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and they just they won't be able to control it. They won't be able to control it. Well, it just goes back, I think, to uh, I'm a skier and uh, I never, ever have I ever heard of anyone say, oh, yeah, we're going to go skiing in China. Um, on rare occasion, you do have people from North America who will turn up in Japan or in um, our summer, their winter down in New Zealand. But uh, if you're not skiing in the United States, you go to Europe. I don't know if that means that the Winter Olympics should always be in North America. They should. It's just, um, it's going to be weird. You're right. NBC sucks for a variety of reasons. I mean, they go too far into the human interest story. And at a certain point, I don't really need the backstory on uh, the guy doing curling and how he overcame such and such an obstacle. And isn't it great? And uh, here's his racial background and all that. Let's maybe just see some sports. But they don't do that anymore. Um, and so it's, it, it's even aside from politics, disappointing. And then the politics, the time zone, the fact that well, it's... You know what they, you know, I actually can tell you why they have to do that. Because sports fans don't watch. There's so many different things going on. When the Olympics is coming up, what is the Olympics going to be happening during February? It's peak basket college basketball season. It's peak hockey season. It's peak professional basketball season. You know, and the first first week is the Super Bowl. So the simple fact of the matter is.
Right, right. Yes, no, I couldn't agree more, Mark. Uh, well, you know, that's all the time we have, unfortunately, for this episode of Simon & White. We'll be back again soon with another edition. If you like what you heard, please subscribe or follow us on your podcast catalog. Thanks so much.